I wonder, have you ever met a man by the name of Gehazi? 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to introduce you to Gehazi and the passage that I, I want to especially focus on. The actual title of today's message, in a bulletin I think it's, this is serious, but the actual title as things developed is, you can't fool God. You can't fool God. And that's really serious. And, and I wonder, I'm going to ask the question plainly, have you ever tried to fool God? And I think most of us would say, are you crazy? No way. But think about it. I think everybody in this room, starting with the guy up here, has at some point or another tried to fool God in your life. You think about it. Maybe when we're done today, you'll say, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Now, you can't do it, but our sinful hearts or the sin in those of us who are even born again tries to do it. And you can't fool God. It's a really good idea just to give it up and get real, get honest with him. So let's meet Gehazi. I'm going to have to read a bunch of this uh, to get, give you the setting. So take a look what's going on here. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, and they often were enemies of Israel, was a great and honorable man. The, big, the general of the Syrian armies was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, the king of Syria, uh, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Here comes the divine appointment. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. That was a big thing back in those days, changes of clothing. Remember back then, there was no Walmart, no Amazon, Kohl's. I have to give, you know, equal time. Um, everything was handmade, and if you couldn't make it, you had to go find somebody who could, and you're talking about very nice clothes because this is the top guy in the kingdom, right? So this is, really, this is really a lot of money value here, cash value here. Verse 6, then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, here's from the king of Syria to the king of Israel, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Okay, what's going to happen now? And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. The king of Israel, his interpretation, this guy is picking on me and he wants to start a war. You see how much faith this guy did not have. Verse 8, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, the man of God is also uh, called a prophet here, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. See what's going on here? 
Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, a little temper problem here, and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. You know, it's like, like a magician or something, right? Are not the Abana and the, and, and, and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And true, Jordan is kind of a muddy river and kind of a minor river, no big deal. So he turned and went away in a rage. Now watch how good and kind and compassionate and merciful God is. He is slow to wrath, right? Verse 11, and his servants came near and spoke to him. This is, a, this is daring, a daring venture. The guy's already out of his mind with rage. And they said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now remember, he's a Syrian. The Syrians are polytheists, lots of gods and goddesses. He says, Now I know there are they're not real. They're not true. There's only one God, and it's the God of Israel. He says, now, therefore, here's a key for the whole setting here at the end of verse 15. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Notice all capital letters. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Syria, goes into the temple of Rimon, a false god, to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimen, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And so Elisha said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. I wish the story had ended here, but then again, I'm still glad that it didn't. Watch what happens next. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, look, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. You just met Gehazi. It's not very positive, is it? Here's the man who tried to fool God, and that's the setting. Now, I wonder, can you follow along with me now and hear how Gehazi is trying to fool God? Look at verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant Elisha, the man of God, said, and he's probably saying this to himself, look, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, and I don't think he's saying that this wonderful guy from Syria, this Syrian, right, while not receiving from his hands what he brought, 
but as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Notice that, as the Lord lives. So here's some possible quotations to bring out how Gehazi's trying to fool the Lord here. He might be saying something like this. No one in all the world can do what my master has done for this man, and all gratis. See what I'm saying? You know, who else could have done this for him? And, you know, what harm is there in somebody taking a little something for it? Or it might be something like this. Elisha doesn't want anything, and that's very noble of him. After all, he's a man of God. He's a prophet, and they do things like that. But why can't I have a little something? After all, I'm a faithful servant. I take care of him. I wash his feet. I wash his hands. I I wait on him. Can you see what's going on here? Is when we try to fool God, we start in our minds with our words to try to make something that's wrong right or something questionable that we're not sure is wrong or right, but we start to play with it in our minds. And what we're doing is we're not fooling God, we're fooling ourselves. Or he might say something like this, or be saying something like this. Besides, Naaman was only too grateful and happy to give something to Elisha. After all, he brought it with him. Why let it go to waste? And I'll tithe 10% of it too, maybe he might say. But do you see what I'm saying here? Trying to fool God, he ends up fooling himself. Now watch him go down the slippery slope, all right? Because when you start this, rationalizing, justifying, making something you don't want to do that God wants you to do, okay not to do it, or you want to do something God doesn't want you to do, okay to go ahead and do it, you're going down the slope. And you've got the slickest set of skis waxed perfectly, and you're going down. Verse 21. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot, probably thinks, what's going on here? And he meets him, and he said, is all well? What's Gehazi going to say here? Here we go, down the slope. He said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, lie, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Well, he's not asking for everything, but he's lying. See what happens? We've got to watch out what's going on in here, in our thinking. So Gehazi has to think of something to say because he's, he's made the move. He's pursued and caught up with Naaman, and Naaman wants to know, why are you here? So he comes up with this harmless little story. And it is possible, think about it, it's possible that some prophets had come in from out of town, because this happened all the time. There was something back in those days called the School of the Prophets. And they would get together, pray together, talk about things together, plan things together, learn from each other. So there he goes, down. Now, the next attempt that he uses to try to fool God, watch this in verse 23. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. So what he does is he says, no, take more. And he says, and I will send my servants to carry this with you. You know what I think maybe Gehazi was thinking? Because we do this, sometimes we do this, when something that's not the right thing 
to do starts to work out, we think, well, see, God is okay with this. See, God is working this out. It's, it's okay. It's going to be okay. If the word says no, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It's no. Or if the word says do, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Do. We have to be completely honest with God. And it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard. I, I know I'm flesh and blood like anybody else in the room. Verse 24. When he came to the citadel, that's where he stayed with Elisha, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. So now he does the thing that we do is we hide the evidence. Right? We hide the evidence. Get it out of the way. Verse 25. You can't fool God, I don't think. Now he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. I'm sorry. Now he went in and stood before his master. I was reading this earlier. I did the same thing. And this is what, he, what, the, what happens. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? All right, now you know what this question means. I know what you did. But I'm giving you a shot here to get back to honesty, to stop fooling God, which you didn't do from the beginning, and to stop fooling yourself. Now, what can we learn? It's not only sinful to try to fool God, it's, and I don't often use this word, but I have to use it here, it's stupid. It's sinful and it's stupid. Sometimes people are sinful and it's, you can't say it's just stupidity because you, you, you can see a constellation of things going on that motivates them to do something that turns out to be maybe stupid, but you can understand it. But this is just outright stupidity. This guy should have known better. He's hanging around with the most powerful person on earth at that time. Not the king of Israel, not the king of Syria, not Naaman, but a true prophet of God. So look at what happens next. I love this, and it breaks my heart as well. Look what happens here. There must have been a, a relationship between Naaman and Elisha. Uh, he says, uh, I'm trying to find my place back here, verse 25. He says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get um, Gehazi's answer for you. Where did you go, Gehazi? Here, here's, here it is. Your servant did not go anywhere. So remember, Elisha asked him the question, you know, where did you go? He's, he's, he's trying to get him to admit it. He wants him to admit it. It's sort of like when God walked into the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, remember what God said there? Where are you? <laughs> Do you really think God meant that question literally? He knows everything. He knows where everybody is all the time. Come out. Let's get honest. Let's get real. That's what, what's going on here. This, this happens a lot in the Bible. Verse 26, then he said to him, here's Elisha. He said to him, did not my heart go with you? when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you. I don't think he's saying, I was somehow spiritually present when you did this. I think he says, when the Lord revealed this to me about what you were doing, my heart was broken. This is a very important lesson for me to learn, for you to learn. This broke Elisha's heart. And you know, it's one thing to violate someone you don't really know, like Naaman. And that's not right. I'm not saying that's right. 
But there's a whole lot more guilt and a whole lot more evil when you, when you deliberately do something against somebody who loves you and you know they love you. And that's what he did here. It's a whole other animal to betray someone that you love. Somebody, especially, who also loves you, right? So Elisha exposes the truth about Gehazi's heart, and he says here, the second part of verse 26, is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Now, part of what's going on here is, is Elisha, is, it's a bad time in Israel's life. And they're um, sinning, and things are going very wrong, and, and they're vulnerable, and, and God's angry with them, displeased with them. And Elisha wants to bring God's people back. He wants there to be revival, and he's praying, and he's, he's working to do that. And his own servant is greedy. His own servant wants money. And remember what Jesus said about this? A person's life does not consist in the abundance of what he or she has, owns, possesses. You know that verse, right? So Gehazi should be, like you and I, rich toward God, but he wanted to be rich toward Gehazi. So, so Elisha is exposing his heart. Look, Elisha, this is what's really going on in there. And again, what the Bible is trying to get you and me to do is let's expose our own hearts and not wait for God to have to do it in a really tough and hard, severe way. Let's be honest about ourselves first. You know, we have, that's what we often say at the Lord's Supper is let's take some time to examine ourselves first, right? So his heart is exposed, and I want to say this. If your heart is not right, your sins are not gone. If your heart is not right, your sins are not gone. Look at verse 27 now. Therefore, Elisha continues to speak, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. Ooh. In the scriptures, leprosy often holds a spiritual meaning or can be seen as such, and that is the clinging of the stain and defilement and filth of sin. And that's why in the Old Testament, the high priest was only allowed into the Holy of Holies once a year. And he had to take blood first for his own sins and blood for God's people's sins, Israel. And he could only get into God's presence once per year. And only one man was allowed. He had to be the high priest. You know that, right? And remember, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil that separated that inner portion of the temple from the outer portion and hid God and separated God every day of the year, but one was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus breathed his last and paid for your sins, paid for my sins, once for all made atonement, propitiation, suffered the wrath of God so that we will never suffer the wrath of God. God himself came to suffer the wrath of God for us and opens the way so that every day you and I can go right into the presence of God, not because of your works, not because of your good deeds, not because of your giving or anything like that, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me, which we receive by faith alone. That's God's grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone and above all else. 
And you see the story here is telling us that, that that's what needs to be done. No leprosy can leave you. No sin can leave you without Christ. You could do a million good works after you've messed up one time. That one time is still staining you. The only way stains are removed, Jesus' blood is the greatest stain remover. So you've met Gehazi. He learned a hard lesson. You can't fool God, but you can fool yourself. So if you can't be honest about yourself, listen, you can't ever be close to God. And that's the very best place to be, is close to God. And don't say, I'm a Christian, I am saved. It, It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we hide our sins, if we deny our sins, if we justify our sins, rationalize our sins, you're out of fellowship with God. Uh, Are you saying you can lose your salvation? I don't believe that. But you're out of fellowship with God. That's different than saying you're separated from God again forever. But what that does is if you're a believer and you're playing games with God, is the God, our God is our Father, and he's going to work on you. He's going, to, he's going to bring you to a place where you say, okay, I give up, I am wrong, I, I am in sin, I have to ask forgiveness. Why wait till then? The door is open. It's a throne of grace. You know, when Israel came out of Egypt, what did they find God? God had a mountain on fire. It was burning up, and they were scared to death. But then Jesus went up on Mount Calvary and died. So we see God's love, and then we respond in love and say, Lord, there's no reason I shouldn't run right now to you and tell you this is what's wrong. This is what I did. It was wrong. And then, if needs be, go to that person that also is involved in what you did wrong and ask them to forgive you flat out plain ask them to forgive you God loves that he desires mercy and not sacrifice did you ever hear that before Mm, that's our God isn't that great that God is more into mercy than sacrifice he's into more more into mercy than judgment and punishment now you know that because he sent his own son to pay for us and our sins So people who love each other are honest with each other. And if we say that we love God, we've got to be honest. And, you know, some people aren't very nice when we walk up to them and say, you know, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. You're right, you, you know. But God doesn't never treat us that way. Lord God, that was really wrong of me. Please forgive me. I feel like such a wretch. He doesn't go, yeah, you ought to feel like a wretch, and I'm going to let you feel like a wretch for about three months before I forgive you. He doesn't do that. He says, I forgive you. I love you. I love mercy more than sacrifice. And people who know each other, look, we need to be honest with each other. I'm wrong. I messed up. Please forgive me. You're wrong. You messed up. I forgive you. I mean, that's, without that, there's not going to be much love around anywhere, in any home, any marriage, any family, any church. So what does it look like? Well, I pretty much explained it and described it. We want to be brutally honest about ourselves and make no excuses for ourselves. I want to be ready to forgive you, and I want to be more than ready to confess my sins to God and anybody that I sin against. So be, 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 be warned here, verse 27. Naaman's leprosy is put on Gehazi. And by the way, I'm not too sure of this, and you can ask the resident uh, Old Testament scholar, 
But if you do a word search on Gehazi, he shows up again a couple chapters later. So I'm wondering, did he repent and get forgiveness? Because that's the kind of God we have, by the way. You might not know that, but I hope you do now. So if your heart is not right, your sins are not gone. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful. That's a great word. And just, he's not going against anything that's right and, and, and righteous and holy to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from A-L-L, all unrighteousness. He won't let a drop or a tiny little stain stick to you ever. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to reach back into the Old Testament, which has such a bad rap against it in our culture, and to find that, yes, there is judgment, but there is also mercy. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us not to be foolish like Gehazi, and that you'll make us very, very honest, brutally honest about ourselves, but knowing that we have a good and gracious and kind God, that you are our Heavenly Father, and you desire mercy and not sacrifice. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.